Amen. I want you to, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. The book of Isaiah, chapter 43. Go ahead and you go ahead and put that up there, Jacob. I am. We're going to look tonight at Isaiah, chapter 43. We're going to read a couple of verses of Scripture, verses 18 and 19. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight. Um, about the barriers to our blessing. I wanted to talk to you tonight about the barriers of blessing. And uh, and I've never done this before while I have preached and what have you. Um, but uh, if, you, if you would actually like my notes for this, um, let me know and I'd be happy to I'd be happy to get them to you and what have you. That way so that you can take them home and uh, and, uh, and go over them and look at them and, uh, and, and continue to study and continue to study them out. But uh, for the last couple of days, these verses of Scripture have been on my heart. And, uh, and I'm going to try to tie it into the fact that we've been talking about prayer for the last several, for the last several weeks. Um, I believe that the Lord has already given me the message for next week, and I want you to come, and I want you to invite somebody to come and be a part of that, is we'll be talking about when God says nothing. What happens in those times when we actually pray, and as Job said, I look on my right hand where he doth work, and he's not there. I look in front of me, and he's, I can't sense him. I look behind me, and I look to my left, and he's not anywhere around. I don't sense him. I don't feel him. I don't. I, I'm talking to him, but it doesn't seem like that he's talking. It doesn't seem like that he's talking back to me. And uh, so next week, that's what we're going to be looking at. But tonight, I want to talk to you about the barriers to the blessings of Yahweh. Because I want to tell you tonight, it is, I believe, I am a firm believer that it is God's will. It is God's plan and it is God's desire for Him to bless His children. I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. And so, I want to tie these scriptures in tonight. And uh, I'm going to read it from the King James first. And then I'm going to read it from and then I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Because I love how the New Living Translation actually words this. So in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, Isaiah is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. He says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now. Somebody say now. Now. now not later. Not six months down the road, not next week, not tomorrow, not when, you know, not when camp meeting gets here. But he says, now it shall spring forth. And then he says, shall you not know it? I will, make, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So, Brother Jacob, go ahead and put that next slide up there. This is what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I want you to just kind of get a hold of that. Because I think that the biggest problem in a lot of our churches is that we don't see, we don't perceive what God is doing. But he says, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. And I will create rivers in the dry Wasteland. I want to tell you tonight that in the midst of what you feel like that you're going through, in the midst of what you feel like that you are facing, in the midst of the dry season, in the midst of the barrenness that you may feel like that you are facing right now, I want to tell you tonight 
that God is getting ready to open up a river in that dry place. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you here tonight, Lord God. Father, I ask you, God, I ask you that you would anoint this word as it goes forth, Lord God, empowering demonstration. And Father, whenever cease to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all, in Jesus' name we pray. And the church says amen and amen. I like science. I'm a science nerd. I, I love reading. In fact, the last five years when I taught middle school, uh, that's what I taught. I taught science. And I love teaching science. And what I have found out is that our brains actually have neuropathways in them. What those neuropathways do is it actually teaches us to like certain things. It teaches us to like certain ways of doing things. Those neuropathways make us like certain types of music. It makes us like certain types of way of doing things. And what these neuropathways really begin to do is they create what we call anchor memories. And we begin to recall things in our mind. That's the reason why if you're driving on the road and you turn on the radio and you listen to an old song that was out years ago, you can remember the very, you could probably remember a time and a place where that song meant something, where that song meant something to you. I remember my mom. I remember my mom was born in the 50s and she was talking, I remember she was talking about one time, the very first time that she ever heard Elvis Presley sing Peace in the Valley. And she was on a date with her boyfriend at the time that who she was dating and they were somewhere and, and, and the radio was on and all of a sudden, you know, Elvis came on and he started, and on the radio he started singing Peace in the valley, and she said that has stuck with me because I can still remember, I can still recall what I felt that night when I heard him sing, when I heard him sing that song. And a lot of us, what we do is in our minds, we we're, are those pathways in our mind we recall to us, bring back to our remembrance those things that are impactful to our lives. And that's what is happening here in Isaiah chapter 43. God, in Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is recalling back to Isaiah some things. Is recalling back to Isaiah to bring back into remembrance some things that are important. How God has worked before in the past. But he tells Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah, I want you to tell the people of God something. I need you to let them know that I am getting ready to do a new thing. Isaiah says God is getting ready to do something new. And when we think of something new, let's look at it in the practical sense. You know, when you, when you think about highway construction, that they're getting ready to expand the highway or they're, getting, or they're getting ready to build a new restaurant or they're getting ready to build a new subdivision. And when we see all of that, we don't think that the construction and the thing that is going in there new, a lot of the times, Pastor, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel, it, it makes us feel like that at times we are, are put out. Sometimes when they're doing work on the road and you have to take the detour and you have to go around and you're so used to taking the certain pathway home and but people are telling us you know the, the city will tell us or or the business will tell us this is going to be good for us this is going to improve the quality of our community or whatever and 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 we at times but how our brain works is we look at it and we say well I don't know about that because I remember how it used to be yeah. and that is the real challenge that I see in a lot of churches. That's a lot of, that's a challenge that I see in a lot of Christians. That when God begins to try to bless us, when God begins to try to work in us and he speaks to us and he tells us, sometimes it is difficult for us to change our thinking Based on what God is speaking to the church. You see, the Israelites needed to be led in a new way of thinking. 
We know based on science, we know that our brains create highway connections and anchor memories where our brains are trained to do things a certain way. And where anything else new and different come along, it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating on the job when, you, when you've been trained to do certain a certain way for so long and, and it's always been this way and then the boss comes in and says, you know what, forget all that because we've just learned, we just had this new technology, we just know, we just, we've just discovered this and now this is a new way that we are going to do things and it's going to make what we do so much better. And our brains are trained to always think a certain way. And when we say, God is getting ready to do something new. When we say that God is getting ready to move. When we say that God is getting ready to do a new thing. That sounds exciting. That sounds promising. That sounds, that, that sound, I mean, we can, it's easy at those times when we say God is getting ready to do something miraculous among us. And it's easy to say, amen, I believe that, I receive it, I, 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 I'm looking forward to it. But when we really discuss what that means, when we really start digging in and we start thinking, we don't really perceive it as what Isaiah said that I'll make a way in the season of your wilderness. Or I will put a river in your dry wasteland. And we look at the situation that we are in. We look at what the church is going through. We look at what our community is going through. We look at all of those things and we ask ourselves, God, how in the world can you work in this? You say that you're going, you say that you're going to move. You say that you're going to, 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 to do something among us. But God, I don't understand how you can do anything in this. Don't you, God, don't you know how bad this looks? You see, in other words, God is trying to say to those. See, here's what you got to understand. The Israelites here in Isaiah chapter 43 are in captivity. They, they, are, they, they are in Babylonian exile. They are in bondage because of the fact that they have disobeyed God. But this is what God is saying in the midst of what they're going through. He says, I am trying to bless you. I am trying to do a work in your midst. As a matter of fact, Israel... I've always been trying to bless you. I've always been trying to do something good in your life. I've always tried to make all things work together for good in your life. And I think that is important for the church to understand. I think that that is important for us that we need to see. Brother David, go ahead and put up that next slide up there. Because I believe that God says what God is saying to the church. What God is saying to harvest time. He says, all your life, I've been trying to bless you. All your ministry, I've been trying to bless you. Everything that you've put your hand to, even in the difficult moments, even the times when you don't understand what it is that you're going through, I've always been trying to bless you. He's also saying, all your life, I've been trying to flow to you and flow through you and release to you what you have need of. See, here's the thing. we got to get past the idea that God is trying to withhold good to His people. He is wanting people to trust Him. He is wanting people to depend on Him. He is wanting people to acknowledge who He is. And He's saying, all your life, I've been trying to get to where you're at so that I can not only bless you, but through you, I can bless others. He's also saying, God is trying to say, I'm trying to bless you. At the very state of your being. I'm trying to bless you. And God was telling Israel. He says I'm trying to bless you. But the problem is. A lot of the times. We are blocking. 
the access that God is trying to bless us. It's not that Satan... I, I am a firm believer that we give Satan too much credit sure. for what he's doing sure. in our lives. Amen. I, I like what Pastor Tony says. And I believe, it, I believe it was you that said it. He's not omnipresent. Right. He cannot be everywhere at once. Right. He cannot be fighting me and he cannot be fighting you at the exact same time. Now I understand that there are that there are demons and principalities and things like that, uh, and I'm not trying to negate any of that. I believe that spiritual warfare is very very real, but we're binding and we're rebuking things that are really not there. And a lot of what it has to do is we're blocking. We are blocking the pathway. Of what God is wanting to do. Now listen church. When I'm talking about blessing. I'm not talking about blessings. In the forms of cars. And homes. And relationships. God is saying. And I praise God for all. And all all those things are good. But just like that we talked about. As we've been talking about in prayer. If that's what we regulate a blessing to. We've missed what it means to be blessed by God. But God is saying that He wants to bless you at the very state of your being. Recall what He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when He said, Abraham, He says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. He says, I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing to all Nations, And that's what we need to understand. He told Abraham, he said, just not that you would be blessed, but that everybody that you come in contact with will be blessed because they come in contact with you. Oh my goodness, let me preach this here for just a moment. You see, we're living in a day and age in the church world today. That we're more concerned with kingdom connections. And what I mean by that is that we feel like as pastors, and I, was, I want to talk about us ministers here for a second. That we feel like that if I can just get connected with this minister, if I can just get connected with this group, if I can just get connected with these people, then maybe that will help grow my ministry. Maybe that will help grow, that will help do everything. That stuff's not biblical because God said that the people that we come in contact with because he has blessed us, it will make us, not only will it make us a blessing, but people who come in contact with us will be blessed because they have been around us. I just want to know how many, how long has it been since somebody has come in contact with you that when they left your presence, they felt like they were blessed? Did they feel like that they were blessed or did they feel like that they were drained when they came in contact with you? Mm-hmm. Come on, man. When he told Abraham, he said, not only will I bless you, but I will bless those that come in contact with you. That is the nature of God's promise. You see, God is trying to get us to see through the barriers to our blessing. That the things that keep us from experiencing our blessing. I used to say this until recently the Lord actually corrected me. People would come to me and would ask me. They'd shake my hand or they'd meet me out somewhere and they would say, you know, Brother Jerry, how are we doing today? And I would always answer by saying, I'm better than I deserve. And the Lord corrected me one day while I was praying and said, you are in me. So everything that I have belongs to you. You were not worthy at one time. But now you are worthy. I think what ends up happening, and I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about us having a sense of pride like 
by our own ability and our own, in our own might that we're able to do this. But I think that it's time for the church of the living God to be able to stand up and rise up listen, and say, listen, I don't have to walk around with my head uh, uh, hanging low to the ground. I don't have to have my, lip, my bottom lip dragging the ground. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep me. I am persuaded that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of life with whom there is no variable, neither shadow of turning. I don't have to be, I don't have to be timid because God hath not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want to tell you we need to understand that we are children of the living God and it is time for us to stand on our, on, on our feet. It is time for us to square our shoulders back. It is time for us to lift our head high and say, I know that I am a child of God. I know that I am a I know who I am. I know who I trust in. And I know that he is able to bless me. You see, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. See, God, see, we're so tied up in our shame. We're so tied up in our weakness. We're so tied up in our mistakes from the past. That we continue to dwell on and relieve that and, re, and relive in our minds. And through that we block God's blessings that come to our life. We block what God is wanting to do. Because we say things like, well how in the world can God ever listen? Because God knows what I used to do. God knows what I used to be. God knows what I said yesterday. God knows that, 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 when, that when, when I was driving down the interstate today, that somebody cut me off in traffic and a bad word formed in my mind. And how in the world could God ever use me? And how could God ever bless me? Because I thought a bad thought. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The blessings of God are not predicated on your faithfulness. They are determined by His faithfulness. I know that we don't, I, listen, I know we, we have a hard time in the Pentecostal church accepting that because we're always taught, you better do this if you want God's blessing. You better do this. You better, you better look this way. You better act this way. You better do that. But I want to tell you, what we do is we end up feeling condemnation because you'll always fall short. Right. You will always fall short. And then the enemy will come around and then we will say, you know, I, I can pick on, pick on me. <laughs> Since we already learned it right yeah. Yeah. Now the Lord saw what happened in Cracker Barrel. Right. <laughs> and the Lord saw, Brother Jeremy, what you did at the motel with that poor guy standing behind the counter. So how in the world, how in the world do you feel like you can get up and preach? How in the world do you feel like that God can never use you? And so the enemy will sit there, the enemy will begin to say those things and sit on our shoulders. And then we and then we sit back and we go, well, I don't think God can ever use me. Well, at the same time, God is saying, I've always been trying to bless you. I've always been trying to use you. I've always been trying. I've always been trying to work through your life because it ain't about you anyway. It's about my glory. My goodness, I'm preaching better than you're shouting tonight. And see, he removes. Here's the thing: when God died on the cross, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and He said, "It is finished." Every barrier was taken out of the way. Everything that was against us, the Bible says, He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the tree. And I want to tell you, every barrier has been taken away. God came down to us where He was at. He wrapped Himself in human flesh and He broke the barriers. He broke the barriers that came down, that, that were against us us and for all eternity. And the essence of the gospel is this, is that God breaks 
down the barriers. It's at my goodness. I feel the Holy Spirit right now while I say this. I want to say the reason why Jesus wrapped himself in human flesh and came and dwelt among us was so that he could storm the gates of hell and he could say upon the rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've called my goodness. I've come down to break down the bars of iron. I've come down to, to open up the gates to set the captive free to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I've come down to break everything that would hold you back. I want to tell you this. You're fully founded in him. Oh, hallelujah. You are fully at the moment. Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm preaching to somebody in this house tonight. At the moment that you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. At that moment, you were fully founded in him. You weren't, you weren't going to get saved. You can, I, my goodness, I just feel like preaching right doctrine here for a second. You, you can't grow in your salvation. You're not a little bit saved today and a little bit more saved tomorrow and a little bit more saved the day after that. You, you're either saved or you're not. And there's no, in, there's no in between. But once you're saved, you are fully founded in Him. And put up the next, put up the next slide here. God broke the barrier through Christ Jesus. And look at what Romans 8 and 35 and 30 through 39 says. It says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Just because we go through, just because we go through a storm and because we go through some difficulties in our life, does that mean that he no longer loves us? He says, or are persecuted? Does he, does he love us any less because we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. He says, he gives the answer, no, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory belongs to us through Christ who loves us. And this is what Paul said. He said, I am convinced. I am persuaded. I know we the old timers used to say it. I know that I know that I know that I know. And he says, I am convinced. I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from God's love. He says, neither death nor life, nor angels, or nor demons, neither our fears, right, come on. neither our fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow. Not even, I love this, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing and all our Lord. I just want to know in this house tonight if there's somebody in here that is glad that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Could you stand to your feet for about five seconds and say, Lord, I thank you for your love. Hallelujah. To the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Praise Him in this house tonight. Praise your name. Praise your name in this house tonight, church. We love you, Lord, tonight. We love you tonight. See, that's our testimony. That the barriers have been broken. You can be seated. I ain't done yet. The barriers have been broken. So what's the greatest thing that keeps us from the blessings of God in our life and in our church it's our unbelief it's not some situation that you're going through it's not the enemies of hell against you more often than not it is our unbelief we can say that 
Yes, God is going to do something. He is going to move. He's going to bless. However, if you don't believe this to be true, you settle into the habit of saying, God is not doing anything new in me. And what we do is we continue to feast on yesterday's man. And here's the thing. What I ate yesterday cannot sustain me today. I have to have something today. I need something today. I need God to do something today. I can't, listen, I can't live on the revival that happened 30 years ago. I can't live on the revival. I can't live. Now listen, I'm, 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 I'm happy of my Pentecostal heritage. I can't live on what happened at Azusa Street. I can't live. I can't live on the stories of, of, of the old saints that have gone on before me that, you, that talked about how God wants moon. I need God to do something new today. And here's the thing. I don't need God to do something tomorrow. I don't need God to do something next week. I don't need God to do something in July when camp meeting rolls around. I need God to do something today. I need, because he said, now it springs forth. Uh, you see, I don't envy Isaiah here. See, Isaiah is a better preacher than I'll ever be. But listen, Isaiah had an eagle eye view. And he was prophesying stuff that he would never live to see. He said, listen, he says, I got to tell you something. He said, God is getting ready to do something new. And where he's preaching to the Israelites something that they need for something that they have not yet experienced yet. Oh, my goodness. How in the world? How in the world? How in the world? Can we expect God to do something for what we're believing Him for we've never seen before? Ah, my goodness, because I'm going to tell you, what God is getting ready to do in this church, and I feel it with every fiber of my being, we have never seen before. We've never experienced before. God knew. See, and here's the thing. God knew that the Israelites were going to worship other gods. So that's the thing that, we, that sometimes messes up our theology. Because sometimes we think that things like that take God by surprise. We think that the fact that they were dancing around the golden calf t- took God by surprise. And so, and, we'll, and so we'll say things. And so in today's culture, when, when, a, when a preacher... Especially when ministers mess up, you know, we go, oh, I never saw that coming. And how in the world, how in the world could God, how in the world could God ever use somebody like that? It never took God by surprise. It never took God by surprise. God knew when He called them. Because he's, you know why? Because he is the Alpha and he's the Omega. He is the beginning and he, he is the end. See, here's the thing about God. God does not sit in time. He sets outside of time. That means that when he sits outside of time, he sees. Because he sits outside of time, he sees everything. He sees the beginning and he sees the end. He sees what you're going through right now. And he sees what's going to happen in the future and your life. So nothing takes God by surprise. But he still promised a man by the name of Abraham. I'm still going to bless you. Uh, See the promise of God is that all would be blessed. And that all barriers would be broken. Not just one zip code. Not just one ethnicity. Not just one denomination, 
But all who are called by the name of Jesus will be blessed. But here's the problem. The Hebrew people blocked their own blessings and blocked the blessing that they were created to distribute to other people. And Isaiah knows this. He knows this and provides guidance to the Hebrew people for a time in the future where they will need this when they're held in bondage. And here's the key point. Put it up there, Jacob. (coughs) Blessed people can live in bondage. Mm. I, I, I know I'm messing up somebody's theology here. But that's okay. Because we like to always be able to say that, well, God can't work in that situation. God knows where you're at. God knows what you're struggling with. God knows where your weaknesses are at. So how in the world can God move in that situation? God knows God knows what you what you think. And we and and we sing you know, and, and we sing songs. We, you know, we grew up, I grew up in a culture you know, that we sung songs as children. I never really thought about it until I got older. And I thought to myself, man, I said, they're trying to scare us to death. <laughs> because we would we we sing things, you ready? We would sing, we would sing songs in Sunday school and stuff like that, that we would say, you know, be, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For there's Father up above, looking down in love. And we kind of gloss over that because, because, when, because really we say that in the tone of Father down He's just, if you mess up, if you don't get it exactly right, God's going to get you. And we'd say, oh my goodness, I I just feel like preaching right now. And we'd say things like this. And I heard it preached. We'd have pastors and evangelists stand up and say, You better make sure that you're always living holy. Because you can even get down to the last mile of the way. And when you get down to that last mile of the way, and you look at that person the wrong way, or you said that, thing the wrong way and then God calls you into eternity, you have shipwrecked your faith and now you're going to split hell wide open. And my question always is then what does that then say about the people of God? That I can come down to the very last moment and still not make it in. And I want to tell you, there are people sitting in churches all across this land that are in bondage mentally, emotionally, and physically. But God says, I'll still bless you. You don't believe it? I'll give you a Bible for it. Paul the Apostle said, I had a thorn in the flesh. I had a messenger from Satan that came to buffet me. And he said, I besought the Lord three times to take it away, to remove it. And God said, Paul, My grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. There, my goodness, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody in this house because God will use your weaknesses 
as a sign of blessing. Because in essence, the Lord told Paul, nope, I'm not taking it away. I'm not removing it. Bless people. I know people that are mentally, they have a hard time grasping the concept that God loves them. And that God cares for them. Emotionally. I know people that emotionally, they come to church, they lift their hands and they, and, and they worship. But as soon as they walk out the door, they lock themselves in a room. And emotionally, they do not know how to deal with the issues in a life. My goodness. I feel this in my soul. But I hear the Spirit of God say that I'm getting ready to come to them. I'm getting ready even though they're in bondage and they feel like that I can never do something in the midst of them. That because, because they don't have it all together, because they don't, and they feel like that they're unworthy, they feel like that they, that they cannot do it. He says, I'm getting ready to do something new. You see, God took the Hebrew people into a strange and a foreign place. The situation was bad, but it's in this situation that Isaiah speaks forth a promise of God for a people that are in captivity. You see, it's hard to preach a future to a people that have not yet experienced it. So that's the reason why God, and I'm trying to wrap this up, I got so many more things that I could talk about tonight. Jacob put up the next slide up there. He brings to their remembrance in Isaiah 43, verses 15 through 17, when he says, I am the Lord, your Holy One. I am your Creator and your King. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that delivered you out of Egypt. I am the one that did this for you. He said, I drew them beneath the waves. He said, I drowned your enemies. Their lives were snuffed out. I want to tell you, does anybody remember in this house the day that the Lord delivered you? That the day that the Lord set you free? It's remarkable here that even in the midst right now of the bondage and the wasteland that they're in, that God is still calling to them and He's saying, listen, I want you to know something. I want to bring back to you remembrance what I have done for you in the past. I want you to know how I have blessed you. I want you to remember a time when the enemy was closing in on you and you didn't know where you were going to turn to. You didn't know what you were going to do. But I spoke to Moses and I said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I caused the Red Sea to part. And you were able to cross over on dry land. And when the enemy tried to pursue you, I caused the waters to go back, to, to roll back on them. And I drowned the horse and the rider in the sea. Do you remember when, where I have brought you from? You see, Israel had to be remembered what God used to do or what God had done for them in the past. Put up the next slide for me. So Isaiah is going back to the past and reminding them of the faithfulness of God. Do you want to break the barrier that keeps God from moving in your life right now? At times recall the faithfulness of God in your life where freedom didn't come easy. Freedom in your life didn't come easy. Where sometimes it required persistence so that God could be understood as the God of the possibility. Where sometimes God had to make our situation look very impossible. So that he could reveal himself as the God of all possibilities. 
Where we look at it and say, with man, this is impossible. But God says, with me, all things are possible. You see, there are times that our Lazarus has to spend a few more days inside the grave. So, that when he gets up, when God calls us, when God brings it to life, We didn't think that through our own power and our own ability that we were able to do something about our situation. That it wasn't about our power. It wasn't necessarily even about our prayer. But it was about the source of God's almighty power. He is the one who has ever made a way. If you've ever had God made a way for you. If He's ever given you a job. If He's ever healed your body. If He's ever caused you to recover from emotional hardship. If He's ever provided finances for you. You need to understand that it didn't come from your own doing. It came from the source, from the hand of the Almighty. God. When Isaiah says, see, he was playing their soundtrack in their mind of where they had been brought from. But then, here's what I love about God God then shows up and he messes all of that up. And if you'll give me 10 minutes, I'm going to try to finish this. Put up the next slide. Because that's 15 through 17. But then he says in verse 18. God speaking. He says. Forget that. Don't even. Remember it. Because it's nothing. My goodness. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Think about that. He tells them, he tells them, forget the past. Because it's paralyzing to live in the past. It's paralyzing to always think about what God used to do. You'll be paralyzed if all you do. That's the reason why I said on... That's the reason why I said on the day of Pentecost, on on Pentecost Sunday, I'm not here to memorialize Pentecost. I'm not here to talk about what God used to do. I'm so thankful for that. But if all we do is live in the past, we will become paralyzed. And most of us are not living as a slave to our old selves. But we actually keep a hold of memories of what God used to do. You see, here in the church, God is trying to bless us. He's always trying to bless us because that's an attribute of His character. That's who He is. And this is what Isaiah says. In order to get past all of this, he says, I'm, going to get in, I'm getting ready to do a new thing. I want to get past the barriers And sometimes, sometimes the greatest barrier to the blessings of God in our future is not what the devil did to you. I'm about to give somebody a revelation. But it isn't what God did for, but it's what God did for you in one season. That you're expecting him to repeat in the next. Mm. Let me just preach this here. I still got a couple minutes left. When God begins to move, when God begins to do mighty things among his church, this is what I have known. There will be things that will come in. That will get you from A to B. But those things that get you from A to B. Will not necessarily get you from B to C. That's the reason why I try sometimes people leave. And instead of looking at it in a sense of. 
Well, God, I just wish they wouldn't have left. I wish it didn't have to have been that way. But I personally believe that more often than not, God steps back and thinks, yeah, but those people, I could not use those people to get you to where I need to get you now. That's called pruning. I don't have time to preach that tonight, but you'll find out that any time when God gets ready for the church to bring forth fruit, He prunes and He cuts things away. But a lot of times what ends up happening is that we think that what God did in one season, we expect God to do in the next season. Oh my goodness, let me... Let me just say this. I won't make anybody mad, but please understand the heart that I'm coming from. I was in a meeting with some ministers over in Lexington just a few weeks ago. And it was powerful. It was good, very good dear friend of mine to a church that was running. When he took it, it was a dying church. It was running 30 people. And now it's running over it's running over a thousand people. And this is one of the things that he says. He says you have to be sensitive to what God is doing. And sometimes seasons end and new seasons start. And this is what he said. And he used this as an example. Because I even asked the question. I said, sometimes people will come to you and will say, I want to do this in the church. But you know, they, they ain't no more qualified to do it in the church than anything in the world. And so I asked the question, I said, well, do you, I said, do you just fill the spot for the sake of filling the spot? Because, you know, you need a Sunday school teacher or you need, you need a piano player, or you need this, or you just throw somebody on there just so that we can do it. And he says, the biggest problem that we have in churches is because because Sister Jane Doe was the first person to get the piano 35 years ago. And that's the only person that should be playing the piano. He said that then God sent somebody in the church that has a PhD in piano playing, but we can't use them because. Sister Jane Doe was the first person 35 years ago to get to the piano. And we don't want to tell her God's moving us in a different direction because we're afraid that she may pull her tie and go to the church down the road. And he says, whenever you get to the place where you can't make changes he says, the church will always die. And he said, there are things that work in one season that will work in the next season that God is wanting to take you to. And I believe, sometimes think about this, what if God wants us to move on from a prior miracle. Put up the next thing real quick. And I'm wrapping this up. God doesn't want you to. Relay. And I messed that up. I just noticed that. God doesn't want you to rely on a memory. Of a miracle that God has already performed. And miss the miracle. That's already in progress. I don't know if you know this or not. And that's the reason why Isaiah says, can you not sense it? Can you not perceive what's going on? Sometimes we're so stuck in what used to be. We can't see what God is doing now. And we long... What did the children of Israel do? When they were in the wilderness, God delivered them. 
God set them free. But every time difficulty came, the first thing they wanted to do was go back to what was familiar to them. At least in Egypt, we had garlic and onions. That is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> if, if you invite me to your house for supper and you give me garlic and onions, I'm already going to automatically feel led of the Lord to go on a fast that night. And they forgot how bad it was in Egypt. You see, I think that a lot of the times the memories, even in Pentecost, the memories that we like to bring up in our mind that were oh so wonderful, I think sometimes we forget the fight and the struggles that we had to endure during those times. And we just remember the glorious thing that has happened. Pastor Tony, go ahead and come to the keyboard. I, I know I've preached a long time. And this is what I feel like the Lord would have me to tell you tonight. Please understand where I come from and what I'm, what I'm saying. You're talking to a person at almost 34 years of age that even to this day still fights change. We were in a ministerial association meeting last night. And I, I, I enjoy that talk. Y'all know it because I did a lot of it last night. Yes, you did. Yes. You didn't say that. <laughs> and because once you get me to talking about the scriptures and the Lord, that's the best thing in the world that I love to do. You talk about politics. I don't have a lot to really say. I really don't care that much about politics. And you can ask my wife, I'm not big on chit-chat. I hate chit-chat. I really do. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not. I don't like talking for the sake of talking and filling words and space. I'm happy sitting in the recliner at home and it just being peace and quiet and if nobody's talking. Praise the Lord. Sometimes I feel like Jeremiah. I keep my I want to keep my mouth shut. And I told the Lord I wasn't going to say anything. But it's like a fire that is shut up in my bones. And we were in that ministerial association meeting last night and we were talking about worship. We were talking about Bible translations. We were talking about the gifts of the Spirit and all of that. And I had made a comment and I said, Have you ever noticed? And I challenge you to do this. Look at the book of Acts. Read it from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 28. And nowhere in there do you find ever what one of their worship services ever looked like. That they did this, 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 and this. And this was the order of everything. And we were talking about that. And I said, you know the reason why... I said, because if Acts chapter 2 opened up and said on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one mind and one accord, and the red carpet was on the floor, then churches all over the world would say, well, we're going to be godly, and our church needs to have a red carpet. Because that's what we do. We take something, and we memorialize it. If they said that they sung a certain type of song 
then we would say, well, if we're going to be just like how God wants us to be, we're, it's got to be like this. But today, this is what I felt the Lord impressed to tell Harvest Time. It's not going to look like what it used to look like. And this is what I want to challenge 